While not exactly the same, parallels can be made between the social bonds detailed in the Crip Camp documentary and the college campus. Like in Camp Janad, there is certainly an identity that unifies everybody on campus, and that's being a student. Depending on the academic rigor of the institution, students can bond on the intensity of the workload. During class sessions, we have also discussed how certain groups on campus could be a source of exclusion. By nature, Greek life is exclusive, given the high barrier of entry. Therefore, the events and rituals performed by its members are kept secret, and at the very least, not made publicly available to others outside of fraternities or sororities. However, the existence of these groups and organizations that sometimes force individuals to relinquish their free thinking for the group may also lower the barriers for educating mass numbers of people. For example, if older leadership in an organization plan to bring the entire chapter together for a student-led protest in the same way it is done for other Greek events, absence will be noted and reflect negatively on the new members, incentivizing them to attend. This is one way to bring about change from the top down. Additionally, considering Greek life only works if other chapters also participate. The number of students engaging in activist work could grow exponentially. This is exactly what happened at the University of Missouri with another type of exclusive group. It is not about us. We just want to use our platform to take a stand as fellow concerns as fellow concerned students on an issue. On November 7th, 2015, students of color on the football team stated they would, quote, no longer participate in any football related activities until President Tim Wolf resigns or is removed due to his negligence towards marginalized students. End quote. The next day. The head coach tweeted in support, and the rest of the team followed in the footsteps of a few brave students of color. Tim Wolf ultimately stepped down, proving that student activism is effective, if strategic and targeted. In academic opportunity structures, Rager introduces the other side of established organized power. On page 561, Rager argues that bureaucracy leads to a sort of path dependence for administrators and students alike. This act of upholding and recycling old traditions and material can be useful for maintaining the organization, but I would argue that it may be detrimental to the evolution of ideas and tactics for the administration and student body alike. The progression of ideas is crucial to activism because oppression is not static, and the longer harmful systems stay in place, the more people are afflicted by it and must be woven into the change effort. Rager also lists institutional funding resources as an opportunity structure for activists on campus. At Woodview, these resources gave FFW access to funding for flyers, a mailbox, and eventually a student center for women and LGBTQ students. Many schools offer similar resources for recognized student organizations. At Lehigh University, students are required to draft a constitution a proposal, and gather 25 signatures of support to be recognized by the Student Senate. The body Lehigh has deputized to distribute club funds. Upon being recognized, clubs can ask for $100 and eventually petition for more, depending on club size and the function it serves on campus. 
Ultimately, the resources for activists on campus are often double-edged swords that must be strategically leveraged to attain success. From football team walkouts to using an institution's own resources and programs against it, activism has a long history on campus and shows no signs of slowing down. Let this be a testament to all other athletes across the country that you do have a power.